Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Adapting Season 3. We're recording on August 31st, 2022, in a conversation with Rabbi Yaffa Epstein. Look, this started off as a conversation about the role that Jewish texts could and should play in the lives of Jewish educators, but as you'll see, it pretty quickly began to get a bit deeper and even more personal than that. How many of us as Jewish educators really feel intimidated or scared to enter into the world of the teaching of Jewish texts simply because we don't feel like we know enough? We might even apply the term imposter syndrome to some of the work that we do. But really, we're trying to get beyond that and try and understand what it is about Jewish texts that is firstly so important for us to convey. But secondly, why are so many of us scared, intimidated, afraid to even go there? And this conversation with Yaffa Epstein really is critical for the ongoing pursuit of quality Jewish education that is meaningful for the lives of young people today. This is Adapting, the future of Jewish education podcast from the Jewish Education Project, where we explore the big questions, challenges, and successes that define Jewish education. I'm David Breifman. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here speaking today with one of the newest members of the Jewish Education Project staff, Rabat Yaffa Epstein. Rabat Epstein is our first ever senior scholar and educator in residence, and in her role at the Jewish Education Project, she'll be elevating Jewish learning, focusing both on Jewish educators we serve and through the professional development that we offer. We're so excited to have Yaffa as part of the team, and she joins us from the Wexner Foundation, where she served as the director of the Wexner Heritage Program, and prior to that, she serves as the director of Education in North America for the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. She has also served on the faculties of Yeshivat Maharat and the Drishat Institute. And I'm sure as you will learn from today's conversation, she is an all-round expert in Jewish texts and education. So welcome, Yaffa, to our show today. Thank you so much. Such an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, we're going to have lots of time to talk now that you've joined our staff, but I wanted to really introduce our listeners to some of your thinking about one of the topics that you and I have spoken about quite a lot over time, and that is the teaching and learning of Jewish texts. And I must admit that even me today preparing for this discussion, like even broaching this topic with you, gives me a little bit of anxiety to talk to such an expert about Jewish texts. And I'm a bit nervous even as we begin to broach this topic. So let's just start with why do you think so many people are in intimidated by Jewish texts? Yeah, I think it's a really, really big question and an important question as we think about how to integrate even further Jewish texts into people's learning and education. I think the truth is that most people are afraid to encounter something they don't know. We live in a world, and David, you and I have talked about this before, but we, we live in a world where, you know, we are supposed to walk through the world knowing everything. And even when we don't, we're supposed to pretend that we do, you know, fake it till you make it and make sure your brand is on point and make sure, you know, you look good. And obviously in, in the social media world that we're living in, it's even more important. Your image is so much, your reputation is so much, so important. So certainly professionally, we walk through the world presenting that we know a lot. And as adults and as adult learners, it's very hard to sort of start from scratch when we're encountering text. As educators, I think there's a whole other piece here that is even more frightening, which is the Jewish body of knowledge that I'm supposed to know is 5,000 years old. What I'm supposed to know is a pretty huge body of knowledge. And how do I do my job well if I don't know everything? So sort of when I encounter Jewish texts that I might not know yet, it brings up, well, I don't know everything. And uh, I think it's a really hard thing for an educator to 
to have to hold while they're trying to teach and do an excellent job. So I, I think it's pretty scary for a lot of people. So yeah, I'm really intrigued by your use of the phrase fake it until you make it and applying it to Jewish educators. And I'm also interested in the phrase imposter syndrome and people not thinking that they have enough Jewish wisdom or Jewish literacy in their own toolkit to be able to be the educators that they are. So I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about imposter syndrome and how it might play itself out in Jewish education today. Yeah, thank you. So I actually, I think the issue of imposter syndrome is huge for Jewish educators. And I think it's because, as I said earlier, I think we live in a society where I'm supposed to show how much I know. And I, growing up in a tradition of Jewish learning, I'm very lucky to have that. And being in a Beit Midrash, a house of study, you know, for many years, actually the greatest Torah scholars, the greatest teachers of text who we admire talk about how they don't know enough. And I think we should be creating a culture of never knowing enough as opposed to I learned X, Y, and Z, and now I know enough and now I can teach it. Instead of that, we should be talking about how like everything can go deeper. And I think if we can admit what we don't know, it actually allows us again to tap into our sense of authenticity and face the imposter syndrome head on. When we have to pretend we know more than we do, that's when we have this imposter syndrome happening. And the best thing we can do is one, admit what we don't know, and two, equip ourselves with deeper, richer learning so that we can feel like, yeah, I know much more than I did three weeks ago, and I still don't know enough, and that's okay. I can walk into the classroom and teach what I do know. So now you're moving into a role where you're becoming an educator of educators. So let's just like take it from like day one. You meet a group of educators and they're feeling apprehensive about the study of Jewish text. Maybe their negative experiences from the past are coming back to haunt them. And they're sort of like, oh, I'm going to this course because I feel like I have to. I've heard Yaffa's going to be a great teacher, but I don't really know what to expect. So what do you say to them on day one to try and alleviate all of that anxiety, to tone it down a bit and to really welcome into a study of Jewish text with you? There's a famous Hasidic teaching, right? If you know Aleph, teach Aleph. If you know just the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, teach that. And I'll just say very personally, I started teaching at Pardes when I was 24 years old. And let me tell you something. I didn't know very much. Sorry, Pardes, but it's true. I mean, everyone knew it, right? I didn't start learning Talmud seriously until I was 23 because as a young woman, in the Orthodox community that I grew up with, really Talmud was not available to me in a deep way. I got to learn it here and there. I, I was, you know, a big nerd. And so I learned it in my summers. But in terms of like deep Talmud study, the way that my male counterparts were able to access already from sixth grade, I didn't have that. And now I teach Talmud for a living. So I, I actually don't believe that our childhood educations keep us back. It's really just a desire and a commitment to learning. And what happened? I worked very hard those three weeks of the party summer program. I've never prepared as hard as I prepared for those three weeks. And I spoke to many faculty members about how they would teach it. And I learned all the material deeply. And then I taught it. And then it was over. And I moved on to the next thing I taught. And I, I think, um, I, I think with enough commitment and dedication, it is possible to master a specific segment or area well enough to teach it. And what we, what we want to encourage, I think, for educators is not that they have to pretend that they know more than they do. We don't want that. I don't think we want people to have to feel like, let me fake it till I make it. I don't want to pretend that I know more than I do. And we have to make it safe to say, and I don't know these four basic things. Where can I go to allow myself to gain that knowledge so that I feel 
up to par with what I'm teaching. And I think the most important piece of advice I got from Dr. David Bernstein, who was the dean of Pardes, he told me, you got to teach what you love. And I think we have to allow educators to be honest about what they love, what they want to teach, give them the skills and the tools to teach on that topic and allow them to master enough, not everything, but master enough of what they want to teach to feel confident in the classroom. So as listeners to this podcast might become more aware in the upcoming episodes, adapting as we enter into season three is going to try and tackle some of the more challenging or difficult issues related to Jewish education. Some of the things which often go uncovered or, or not spoken about at all, because we don't want to upset the apple cart. We don't want to imbalance the status quo. And least of all, do we want to offend or upset Jewish educators who really are doing amazing work. But there is a suggestion suggestion out there that the time and the world is changing to a point where things need to adapt accordingly. So the narrative in the Jewish world or the Jewish educational space today is often talking about, well, there are more Jews studying Jewish texts than ever before in any other time of, of world history, which statistically speaking might be true because there are just more Jews with more access to technology. And they'll say, look how many people are now studying the Duff Yomi, for example, the, the daily page of Talmud. And I don't want to belittle that. I think it's, it's wonderful. But when we break it down, I'm not sure that the pure numbers tell a really full or accurate story. And I think I'm concerned in many ways that are we actually, despite what the overall numbers telling us, are we actually in a crisis when it comes to Jewish textual literacy today in terms of there seems to be a real divide between those Jews who are studying Jewish texts, okay, the Haredi, the ultra-Orthodox community, the Orthodox community, and I hate labels, but here they might be useful, and all of the Jewish educators and Jewish communal professionals out there, which by and large is not that many people. And then there's everybody else, which is the vast majority of Jews who probably are in that category of Jewish texts are inaccessible, not meaningful. I haven't had a good experience in the past. My teachers haven't been great. So I'm really asking the question here of, are we actually in a crisis when it comes to textual literacy today? Or maybe to give you you know, a more open-ended sort of question here, like, how do you assess where we are as a Jewish people in terms of our grasp or our understanding of what role Jewish texts could play in our lives today? Yeah, I'll just speak very personally and honestly. I'm not a big fan of the word crisis. I think it causes a lot of hysteria and it's effective, of course, in raising dollars, but it's it's actually usually not great for the people who are listening to it or the people who are saying it even, and certainly not the practitioners. I think when you put the word crisis on Jewish education, I'm very wary of it. I'd rather say we have an opportunity to delve in. I do think we have so many people who are interested in getting connected to Jewish text. I think COVID, we saw this huge jump and people, when we made it so accessible, people really joining in and wanting to connect to Jewish learning. What I do think is happening in the world that the Jewish world and the Jewish educational world needs to respond to is the world is getting much more, this is going to sound judgmental, but I do believe that we're moving towards a shallowness and a lack of depth when it comes to scholarship, when it comes to conversations. We are sort of allowing ourselves to find the pithy soundbite and not searching for complexity. So this is a challenge that is facing educators writ large in every arena is how do we help people return to depth, to nuance, to complexity? And of course, I would say content, deep, rich, accessible, relevant Jewish content is the antidote to 
a shallow conversation happening with a lot of anger, usually, and emojis. So I'm not sure I want to let you get off the hook so easily here because there is a bit of judgment there, right? Like, do you think that the Jewish people today suffer from a lack of literacy and a lack of depth? And that's to our detriment. I do think it really matters what language we use around this conversation because I was told about a decade ago, we don't use the word literacy anymore because there's something offensive about calling a whole community illiterate, right? Or a certain population of it. What we want to do is say openly and transparently, Jews need to know more. And we have to create places where it is safe and welcoming to allow people. But I I think what you're saying, David, about the number of people who are connecting to Jewish text is it's not just that Jews have to learn more and know more. Jews want to learn more and know more. So our job is to make it possible and accessible to allow Jews to know more. But I do, I, I will say this. I do believe that every Jew will thrive and grow and feel less intimidated by Jewish texts by knowing more. You know, we talked about bringing text into this conversation. There is a important and famous Mishnah, a section from Ethics of Our Fathers from Perkevot, which talks about be diligent and go deep in your Torah learning because when you do that, it will give you the confidence you need to encounter the world and have deep conversations. You mentioned before that Jewish texts often, in their very nature, hold a diversity, a multiplicity of viewpoints. They don't often give you the single answer, but they give people a chance to grapple with the issues themselves because the texts in themselves often inherently have a yes and or an alternate view. And I'm wondering for you just to speak a bit about what role that these sorts of texts have in the teaching that you do, the ones which don't have a specific right or wrong, but those which open up a multiplicity of possibilities for the learners. Every single text has a multiplicity of perspectives, even if it's one sentence, because when you bring it into conversation with many learners, they will, by definition, understand it differently. I mean, there is nothing as beautiful as watching different perspectives, forget even interpret, actually read and translate, actually understand a sentence differently than one another. Like, And it really has to do with who we are when we walk into that room. Look, I'm a bit conflicted on this one. On one hand, I'm admiring and inspired by your commitment to pluralism and hearing everybody. And your teaching really is the embodiment of B'Tselem Elohim, the, the, in the image of, that every person has the image of God. I guess, um, I wish I could be such a fundamentalist in some ways. Like, I guess there are just too many red lines. And like, why should I be giving a platform to those that are offending me or others or those which actually could cause harm by having their viewpoint spread? I guess you're saying that if you've got a strong enough commitment to your own beliefs, then that's, um, that's okay to hear them out. They just might strengthen your own beliefs. I mean, I don't want to give anyone a token platform, but um, I'm really struggling with your commitment to the concept of every viewpoint has a role in education and that the commitment to pluralism really supersedes everything else as well. Yeah. So yes, 100%, I am extremely committed to the idea, to a pluralistic perspective when it comes to Jewish education. And in general, as a Jewish community, you know, sort of the need and the beauty in having pluralistic Jewish community and Jewish classroom. In terms of, you know, the red line question that you're asking, David, which I think is, is an important one, you know, I'm sort of, this is really unpopular to say, but I guess I'm going to say it. I'm sort of a fundamentalist in this way, in that I believe that we should allow for every perspective to be learned, explored, uncovered. And particularly today, we are in such a polarized 
place in America, just in every way. We are just so polarized. And it, it's so difficult to have conversation across belief. The muscle that I really believe we need to be exercising right now is actually that of allowing as many perspectives as possible. I know that we're concerned that some are too radical, some are offensive, some are deeply painful, and some are just abhorrent to us. It's just true. You have a room, there, there are abhorrent views. But if we could not just normalize, but strive to have conversations across difference with every viewpoint really expressed, I believe it will actually allow us to be less afraid and to be more authentic in our own viewpoints because they have sort of stood the test of hearing other viewpoints and they've been sharpened. And we can walk away from that conversation whole and intact and still deeply believing what we believe and trying to find respect or at least affirming the humanity of those who disagree with me. I think what happens when we don't do this is that our students and our constituents and our, and our community members encounter those ideas without having any tools of how to deal with them. So, you know, I, I've really seen this where someone is faced for the first time, sometimes in their thirties with a viewpoint they've never heard before. They don't understand. And all it causes actually in them is anger, frustration, and a lot of fear. Whereas if they're exposed to the idea in a safe way, in a healthy way, in a way that allows them to sort of pick apart that view. I'm not, I'm not, let me just be clear. I'm not suggesting that as educators, we don't get to say which perspective we think is right. I'm not saying every, every perspective is of equal value. I'm not saying that we don't get to have a methodology. I'm not saying that we don't get to have an educational perspective or even a values-driven classroom. I think we can have those things and also say, I want you to know that 50% of the country does not think the same way we do, friends. They don't. So what are you going to do about that 50%? Write them all off? Or are you going to try and say, and you know what else? They don't think like we do. They are beautiful, wonderful people. Most of them, they have you know, homes and families and kids and playgrounds and plant flowers. They're, they're just like us. So they think extremely differently than we do. But what are we going to do about the fact that they think differently? Are we just going to decide we can't talk to them? We can never have Hagim with them holidays. We can never, you know, or are we going to say, I, I got to sit next to you at Thanksgiving. And I have to do that in a way that increases peace in the world and doesn't create more destruction. So we include Shammai's voice in every conversation, even though we know he's wrong. Well, I think Shammai is a little bit more complicated, I would say. Shammai is someone who is within the academy, and at times we do rule like him. But we have another character who I think is an even better example, who is Alicia Benavuya, who is a famed scholar and was the teacher of Rabbi Meir. And he, there are pages in the Talmud that describe how he basically effectively becomes a heretic and leaves the community behind. But we, first of all, still tell his story. And second of all, we still talk about some of the Torah that he taught us, still makes it into our canon. And his student, Rabbi Meir, continues to respect him, even after he is sort of banished, if you will, from the, from the academy, which I think teaches us that we need to seek out voices that are different to us. And even when they cross a line, we continue to have them 
as part of our tradition. So as all of our listeners know, we are the Jewish Education Project. We're not the Jewish Engagement Project. We're not the Jewish Social Project. We actually firmly believe in education, and we believe that the study of Jewish texts and Jewish wisdom is really important to everything that we do, as long as it can be made relevant and vital to the lives of young people today. And I guess we'll spend a bit of time today focusing on educators, but maybe we can drill it down even one layer further. How do we get young kids excited about this this rich history of Jewish wisdom that you've spoken so eloquently about. I mean, if only our young people had this type of passion and vigor, then I think the Jewish people would be in a completely different state. But what could you give us as advice and or wisdom to share about our youngest learners today? So here I want to speak with a lot of humility because I know that there are just so many incredible educators who are doing this work. And you know, my expertise is at the adult level. And I'm really excited to be able to bring this specific conversation to educators and to help educators think about this question and to help them grow and learn themselves. But to me, the question isn't how do we get kids excited about Jewish text? I think we're missing a step, which is how do we make Jewish text seamless in the Jewish educational experience for kids? Rather than saying there's this text and there's these kids and how do we get them to work together? I think it's more about kids feeling like it's integrated sort of seamlessly into their education. And that comes, I think, from educators who are really passionate about texts, ideas, and integrating them in a way that kids can experience them in a more holistic and natural way rather than, okay, now we're going to do a text study, which I think feels disjointed and I don't really understand why it matters. So if we can start with the sort of authenticity holistic and relevance piece, I I think that will really help. So I hope all of our listeners can agree as to why I decided to have Yaffa come and speak with us on today's episode of Adapting. The conversations are real, they're live, they're ones that we're having on an ongoing basis and why we're so thrilled to have her join the staff of the Jewish Education Project and bring this Torah and Talmud to so many people and so many educators in our circles. But before we leave, I'd like to ask you, Yaffa, who's one educator in your life that you can pay tribute to, someone who's helped you become the the Jewish educator that you are today? And I gave this question a lot of thought. To me, I do think that my parents were incredible examples of amazing educators who were so committed to the Jewish community and also who really taught us that anyone is welcome at our Shabbat table. Anyone should have access to Jewish learning and really instilled in us this value of pluralism and that the Torah is for all Jews. So really my parents, I would say. Yafa, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Adapting and even more thanks for you for joining us as a member of staff at the Jewish Education Project. I'm sure all of our listeners will find out more about the work that you're about to embark on. We're really thrilled to have this conversation with you today and really look forward to continuing it in the future. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Today's episode was produced by Dina Nussenbaum and Gabriel Weinstein. The show's executive producers are myself, Karen Cummins, and Nessa Lieben. And our show, as always, is engineered and edited by Nathan J. Vaughan of NJV Media. If you enjoyed adapting, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or even better, share it with a friend, colleague, or other Jewish educator that you might know. To learn more about the Jewish Education Project, please visit us at jewishedproject.org where you can learn about our mission, our history, and the staff that we have. As always, we're a proud partner of UJA Federation of New York, and thank you, everybody, for listening today.